Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Good morning, everybody. How you doing? And welcome back to another edition of the show. It is episode 328, and it's August 9, 2022. Joined once again by Kyle Klingman from Cedar Falls, Iowa. Kyle, what's good? You got a streak going here of calling it right, Cedar Falls, Iowa. I don't know what turned the corner. Usually you take pot shots at me, and I've gotten used to it, but that's okay. You didn't even know our guest today was an undefeated four-time state champion. I had to inform you about that. You said it, and I said, yeah, one of two. Uh, I don't know. You or, knew who the second one was. It was Nick Seriano. Come on. Yeah. Let's get on. Let's get, bring him on, though. It's uh, it's Anthony Ashnault. Um, actually, in, in transition right now, but Anthony, thanks for joining us. How you doing? I'm doing well, man. Uh, coming live from Apex Wrestling Club up in Mawa, New Jersey. Just doing a little clinic this morning and uh, figured stay here hang out with the kids hop on the call while i'm here and uh finish it up afterwards so it's all good and uh yeah there's multiple four times champs in jersey but uh me and nick were the sole undefeated guys you know you can't forget uh shout out to mike gray you know he's killing it at cornell but he was the first four timer out of jersey had a couple losses but um he was a stud that set the trend a little bit awesome and and congratulations i just it just got announced, I think maybe 30 minutes ago, making the transition to NYC RTC. So congrats on that. But I, I do want to back up and kind of cover your, your storied career at Rutgers. And, and I, what I want to start with, and I know your brother went to Rutgers, so you were in I don't know, middle school or high school when that was going on. And I don't know, just talk about the transition. Like when your brother got to Rutgers, what was it like? And, and the transformation you saw over that time since uh, till now. Yeah, for me, I was like, I think a lot of wrestling siblings, they're like, you know, we're big fans of our siblings. So yeah. growing up, my brother was born in 1989. I was born in 1995. So we were six years apart. And uh, I was just always following him around to Ohio Tournament of Champions, uh, different tournaments like that when he was a kid. And then all the way up, he ended up going to Lockhaven before he went to Rutgers and you know, the moment he went to Lockhaven, I was Lockhaven's biggest fan. I, I, they didn't even, Lockhaven was a little down at the time. And I remember I wanted a Lockhaven singlet. So I bought like at the school store, like a, uh, two, two pieces were just getting in style. I bought a Lockhaven top and just black compression shorts bottom. And I was a lo- huge Lockhaven fan when my brother was at Lockhaven. And then two years into Lockhaven, Rocky Bonomo was getting ready to transition out of there as that coach. And my brother transferred to Rutgers and, you know, I didn't really know much about Rutgers, even though it was only 15 minutes from my backyard. And I really wasn't a huge fan of Rutgers wrestling at the time. But the moment my brother went there, uh, everything changed. And I was a big fan of him, and I became a big fan of Rutgers immediately. And, uh, you know, just going to all the matches, they were in the EIWA at the time. So, you know, he, they were battling with a bunch of EIWA, Ivy League schools, Bucknells, the world, Lehigh's. And uh, they were fun, and it was opening my eyes up to – all these other programs, you know, I always had, I always had a favorite school that was kind of Penn state growing up, but until my brother went to college, then it started opening my eyes to all these other places and all these other programs, all these other coaches. And, um, you know, when my brother was in college there, I got to, uh, get around the program a lot. They started the youth club during the time he was in uh, on the program called SKWC Scarlet Knights wrestling club. And, uh, coach Goodell, who the head coach is there now, he was the head coach then, he brought in coach Joe Pollard to run that club. And it was a great thing for me. I was in middle school, high school getting to go in and it was majority of room meant for extra work for the college guys at the time when it first got started. So it really was a couple handful of kids, but really kept under the radar and majority of it was a great college room. And um, so I got to be exposed to guys like my brother, Mario Mason at a very young age, um, other guys that I guess aren't as popular, but just all these studs that were like on my radar that 
you know, I was looking up to um, watching them wrestle in these matches versus Lehigh and Bucknell and home matches at Rutgers. And, and then I got to go in on Sundays at SKWC as a little kid and I would be wrestling with these guys. And, you know, every year it was like I was making these progressions in my own in my own way in wrestling. And I was closing the gap on these college guys. And in my own backyard, I was able to see the progress I was making just out of that, that Rutgers room out of that little youth club. And it wasn't the only place I trained. Like I said, I'm at apex wrestling club right now. And, you know, I've been here plenty of times as a, as a youth training with coach Logan and uh, my hometown of South Plainfield. I trained there majority of the times with a bunch of different, uh, guys that were successful in college and different All-Americans like Troy Heilman, Scott Delvecchio, and they wrestled for UNC, Troy, and Rutgers, Scott. So, um, you know, I had a great upbringing, but really Rutgers was – I was a huge fan of my brother, so I was around it all the time. And, yeah, I, I loved it. And by the time it was my turn to make the college decision, um, they were still, you know, climbing the ranks, probably ranked 25 to 30th in the country and um, consistently. And, you know, I – I really decided to go to Rutgers over the schools like Penn State, Oklahoma State, Michigan, and Oklahoma because I believed in the process. I saw the I saw the process. I saw how much better I was getting. I saw how much better my brother was getting. I saw all these other guys, you know, um, and, and a lot of times during this time period, Rutgers got knocked for, for not having guys punch through the round of 12 during this time period. They had a lot of guys lose in 2012, 2011, 2010, and then round of 12 not punched through to be an All-American end. Um, in my mind, it, that wasn't like uh, that wasn't an issue. It was kind of a uh, it was kind of an area to have an answer for me. I was like, I could be that answer. I could come to Rutgers. I could change the tide. I could get higher level guys to commit. I could be a national champ there multiple times. I believed in it, um, and you know what? I ended up going there, and I really never looked back. I had a great great run, and from the start, I was successful, and you know, it, it was really good times. So, and that's, yeah, I was going to ask, did you feel like you could be a flag bearer? And was that something that, obviously, you just said that you were thinking that way. Was that a pitch from Coach Goodale? Like, hey, we're making progress. We need a face to kind of elevate and, and punch it through and make others believe that it's possible to do that here. It was definitely a little bit of a push, for sure. Um, you know, it was definitely more of a push even, I think, in, in for me, yeah, maybe it was a push they were telling other people. But to me, they were more like, you know, trying to make it, make it actually realistic. Okay. Who do we have to get? What kind of coaches are you looking like? What kind of like, is our staff good enough? Does it look good enough? Like there was a lot of uh, things that were put on my shoulders in a way, not in a bad way, but just like, what kind of partners are you looking for? Do we need to bring other guys in? Do we need to pay guys to come in that are out of college? Do, do we need to recruit other guys, your weight class to push you? And all those answers were yes, you know, and um, you know, it was more coach Goodale, putting everything he had into it like what do we need to do to get anthony ashnall to come to Rutgers and be successful here to believe in it and uh you know he answered all those questions and did a great job at it and you know pretty much everything he promised came true so uh it's been it was a great run it, it was awesome you know i really hope you know i'm going up the street to hobo live moving to hoboken and training at a new york city regional training center now but i really hope one day to go back there and coach at Rutgers and continue that career there and uh you know right now it's just the shift to focus on myself and my own training but it uh it's not it's no um it's no trans translation to how i feel about Rutgers. i still love it it's still my school you know i'm still going to represent them with a lot of pride sure and and i i you hear a lot of guys say hey if i really really want to to make this push to make world and olympic teams and, and earn medals you kind of got to do it full time and, and splitting it with coaching maybe isn't isn't conducive to, to that, but to your coaching career, it took, it's been short to this point, but it could pick up again once you're done competing. What did you learn? You know, a lot of people say, man, as soon as I got done wrestling and or started coaching, I, I saw the sport differently. I thought about it differently. Did you experience any of that? Uh, definitely helped my like technical, technical game a lot and just uh, different areas, um, finishing cleaner on shots, um, Definitely, definitely helped me break down as a teacher. You know, you have to go in and explain things at the highest level. Um, and it helps me understand all the things I'm trying to get across a lot better. Every time I felt like I went there, went in, into the room and it had to explain the, a setup to a single or a single leg, it's like my technique to the single leg and setup to the single leg was getting cleaner. And um, 
things like that were great, but even deep on deeper levels to, to kind of understand where I guess most, I think mostly for me, it was understanding a lot of where my faults are in, in life and in, in coaching. And, you know, to be a great coach for me, it's to be all in. And um, it was, it was hard when I started competing to, to try to not be all in and coaching hurt me more than anything, really mentally. Um, you know, I, I was having a great time coaching all year and then it's like comes around time for the Bill Farrell and us open. And it's time to start focusing on myself to compete. And with that comes away from takes the attention away from the guys that I was coaching. You know, I, I become more selfish. I'm thinking about what I need to be doing and the feeling of doing that hurt me more than, than just doing all in, in one area. Like it just hurt me to feel like I was halfway in with the guys and not there for them to need to put them through things or be a partner for them. Uh, you know, no matter what, what, whatever it was as a coach, I just felt like I wasn't able to give my all in the coaching realm as an assistant coach there. And, uh, and that was tough. So, um, I learned that I just, you know, if I'm going to go back to coaching college, I want to be all in on that and I want to make a difference. And I want to, I want to be a vocal change in whatever program I'm at, you know, and, and whether it's technical work or, or culture work, you know, I want to be a big aspect of that. And, when I was trying to compete, I, I just felt like I couldn't do that to the ability I know I'm capable of. Here, let me help you. Hey, go like this. All right. Um, so if, if you could, thank uh, you. Two hours, had... two hours teaching. You know, yeah, coffee, yeah. no water. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I didn't want to let you go on. Um, if if you could, you know, take take what you learned as a coach, and maybe it's technical, and maybe it's like some some mental aspect to it, and and give yourself at, at, at your college self any piece of advice. Is there something you would tell yourself that maybe you learned in that in and your during your coaching coaching? Definitely. The biggest thing I would I would say is be all in and what you want to do. And uh if you if you want to be a national champ, I think I think ninety-nine percent of college division one wrestlers understands the discipline, the work ethic, and what it takes to get there. And if they really ask themselves and tell themselves that then you have to answer the bell, man. You got to do those things. And the thing I learned about myself, if I'm saying I want to be a world and Olympic champ, then I need to go do those things. Like I can't, I can't halfway do them. And that's what I kind of felt like what was going on for me in the last year and a half, two years. And I was un unsure about how long I wanted to wrestle when I was first done with college. But, um, you know, this last year has been amazing in the sense of training for me but not amazing in the sense of performance in my own performance for me so it's been really hard to deal with that for the first time when when I was training where I felt like I needed to be and competing and practice how I needed to be and not translating to the mat um you know for the first time I had to look at myself in the mirror and like ask myself these things not the first time but in a deeper way ask myself what needs to change what's what's not working right now and you know I think I had my hands in too many pots you know I just too much things going on in life that I, I, I personally wasn't able to balance all of them and be successful in the one that I really wanted to be successful in, which is competing myself. Was there like an, an aha moment where it like, Oh, this is okay. Yeah. I need to go all in train. Or was it just kind of a confluence of the things that you just described? And over time it, the, the answer came to you to like, Hey, I got to do this freestyle full time. The the haha moment I'd say was at the U.S. Open. I lost to Doug Sapp, uh, and I don't know what round it was early on in the tournament, and I forfeited out. and uh, And the mental state, I just I can't even like um, comprehend the feelings I was feeling because I just never been to that point. But it was all it was hit like in the moment, all at once, kind of when I went back to my hotel room and really thought about the performance and everything that went into it and then how I felt about it and where I was trying to head. Um, that was kind of the aha moment for me where I was like, yeah, you know, I thought I could be this guy that could do it all. And, you know, I really want to win, win. At least I really want to compete to my potential. If anything, winning's not everything, but I at least want to go out and compete how I know I'm capable of competing. And I wasn't doing that. And it was just the aha moment. I was like, okay, like, if you want to go compete how you know you're capable of competing, like we need to go all in, like me talking to myself, like just, yeah. we need to, we need to do more. We need to cut things out. We need to make sacrifices. We need to be more disciplined. We need to go down to 65 kilos. We need to, there was all these things that immediately I had answers for. And it was just like, 
um, just a, a little bit of a clutter in my mind because at this point it's, I guess, April. So it's the it's, it's a hot spot of recruiting. Mm-hmm. And the other part of it is I have to get on the call, the phone and start calling guys to want to come to Rutgers after I just had one of the worst performance I felt like I had in a long time. And that was really hard to do. And it was just an aha moment because it's like, I don't want to get on the phone and call guys. I want to go work on what I need to work on, whether it's mentally, physically or otherwise. And, and it was hard to like put those things to the side of how I really felt. And like, you know, the coaches at Rutgers did give me a lot of leeway in the sense of picked up the slack of things I wasn't doing, whether it was recruiting or other things. But then when I started slacking in those areas, it's like, damn, I'm slacking. And it's how you do one thing is kind of how you do everything. So other things started slipping because I was slacking in that area. And I just didn't love that feeling. It felt like a downward snowball effect. Uh, I guess at some point you had conversations with Goodale or just said, Hey, I'm leaving. But how, what was that like? Um, Yeah. Talking through that process with him and explaining maybe kind of what you just explained to us. Um, At first it was, I wanted to just compete again. And I, you know, it's like, um, I love Rutgers and it's like, I think a little, a little bit of it was like, well, they did give me an opportunity when like, I can't, I, I get, I'll rewind a little bit. Sure. I went in there, I guess in, um, in early July and I want, and I had the conversation where I was like, Hey, I want to compete. I, I think coaching's holding me back from what I want to do competing. I want to go down to 65 kilos and I want to compete to the best of my ability and make world teams and make Olympic teams and win and at least have the, the, chance to win right now i feel like i'm not giving myself the best chance to do that and uh that conversation for the most part went great you know they were on board about it and then uh they even did one up and kind of made it happen where i would have a situation to be represented from the skwc even and that was great and i love that opportunity and you know i love Rutgers, and i did want to stay there it was just things for me personally that you know i couldn't be as selfish as I want to be at Rutgers. I had all these investments in relationships that I, that were years of building, whether it was athletes on the team or coaches on the team. And it was just really hard for me. And I don't know, um, you know, if others ever had this feeling, but for me, it was just the personal decision. I didn't feel I could go into the room anymore and be as, as selfish as I needed to be in terms of training and um, getting the things I needed to do for training. And as well as I, I wanted a different, a little different of an environment to do all those things. I wanted different and maybe more better partners to do that with or different coaches with different experiences. And, uh, you know, that was just a personal choice at that point. So, uh, that was a much harder conversation, I guess, the second time around. And it wasn't the best thing because I, I wasn't sure of all this. So, you know, I was figuring it out as I was saying it, because, you know, I, I had that feeling in the U.S. Open, but it's like your, your obligation is to coach. So my main job was coaching. I, I still I sat on a lot of those feelings for a while besides telling like a few a few amount of people, but not really a lot. Definitely not the coaches. And then I told the coaches about wanting to leave. And then it was about telling them I wanted to leave and go some, look at some other places. And that was a really hard conversation, a um, couple conversations. But. I just felt like it was the best thing for me. Uh, it was something I really needed to do if this is what I want to do. And the moment I did it, it's like I I felt a lot better about it. And I, I feel great about the decision. And um, a lot of the different stresses and anxieties that I had about competing and dealing with all these different obligations and competing immediately went away. And I haven't competed since then, but um, just the quality of my training has been great. Um, and I think that's only just because of how I'm feeling myself. Sure. Um, and, and obviously, right, we mentioned earlier, you're, you're going to be training at the NYCRTC. Did you, how did that come about? Did you reach out to Kendall? Did he know your situation and, and reach out to you? Or I assume Kendall, but could could have been somebody else. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm pretty close to Chance Marsteller. Uh, we've, we've been getting closer throughout the years. We were both, you know, four times state chance in high school at the same time, which was really cool. Me and me in New Jersey, him in Pennsylvania. Um, so the bond kind of just started from credentially just having a similar upbringing and we were both studs as a kid. He was definitely a, uh, a bigger stud. He was a beast as a kid beating seniors as an eighth grader. So he was the original conversation just without even knowing he was just telling me all these things about how his training, how his training was impacting his wrestling 
like on a really short time scale from mm -hmm. when he when he started training there to when he made final X and did really well at the trials and um, all the benefits he was getting out of it and how they were treating him. Uh, so that just really like gave me confidence in one of my peers that I trust having trust in them. Uh, so that kind of opened the doors. And, you know, as a kid, I always went to different clinics with a uh, couple with Joe Pollard taking me to Kendall cross clinics and at Hoboken or even uh, on my own a couple times, I've been at edge Hoboken with that group. So just being friendly, you know, I've always tried to be friendly to the different coaches that I've came across in the, in the game. And uh, we had a bond immediately. And I told Kendall about just, you know, I wanted to open up my options and just see what else was out there and see who else would be interested and see if I, uh, if another place would be a better fit for me kind of thing. And, um, you know, we had an original conversation and just kind of, we connected really well. And, uh, yeah, I, I guess you could say we connected really well and it was just more natural. It was it was very natural process, just kind of talking on the phone up to the point until now where it got announced today. Um, and there was a, a period where, you know, I went like two for two weeks, you know, just going in the train and feeling out the process of training with the group of guys in there and uh, looking at the city of Hoboken and Jersey City and potential of like where I would live and things like that and what it would be like to live there and train there. Um yeah, so I did all those things, and I felt really great about it, and uh, that really made me feel comfortable to just, you know, make the move. Sure. In that two-week span, when you were kind of, I don't know, we call it recruiting trip, but feeling it out and ch checking it out, what was, I guess, what maybe what was the training like? If, if, but who were you training with, and what did you like about it? I guess those are more of the questions that I'd like to know. Um, it's not like I've been training with coach Buxton in the last six months and like, I, I didn't really mention it, but like, he's really the one that like gave me the biggest like excitement to come and want to compete for a long time right now and get back on the sap, like get back all in, you know, and it sucks that I'm leaving him to do that. Cause I really loved working with him, but it was just, it was outside reasons besides working with him. It wasn't that I, I loved working with him. It wasn't that. And, uh, you know, it's different than his style, his style is super um i don't know how to describe it just you know disciplined in the fact that he has something that he wants to probably cover that day and he's going to stay in the realm of that technique um and develop it and show all the options from that one technique whether it's a single finish or say it's a seatbelt that day we're going to work on that seatbelt most of the day we're going to spar in that seatbelt and it's very disciplined that seatbelt and um it also probably has to do a little bit you know the partners is sebastian was great at Rutgers and we had a guy Kamal was great at Rutgers. And then outside of that, it was a lot of the college guys. So it had to be a little bit more detailed than what we were asking of them and showing them to do. And I'd say the biggest thing that I'm really excited about is like the last two weeks, it's been like, you know, training two, three times with Jordan Oliver and a couple of days training with Afto and Chick or Conchesney. Conchesney, Sorry. I have a terrible time pronouncing foreigners' names, but yeah. but uh, you know the room, the quality of the guy in the room is just so high that in the NYC RTC room that uh, you know I didn't I didn't think it was going to be a big difference in that. And the biggest excitement for me is every day I'm figuring out things that I thought I was strong in, or positions I thought I was good in, or just just ideas that I thought I had that were like cemented in my wrestling that aren't cemented anymore because they're not working as well on these higher level guys. And even Mitch Feinsilver has gotten so much better since I wrestled in a 149 in college. Um, and so like, those were my th really three partners. And then actually Ja'Cory Teamer was in last week and I got to wrestle a match with him on Friday, which is awesome. Um, so it's like the revolving door as well as the guys that are constantly there in the room is the biggest thing I'm taking from it. Um, and the technical work with Valentin and, and Kendall uh, is, is different in ways. They're both very different, but um, it's very beneficial to me, man. Uh, Valentin is very straightforward. It's like, it's like sometimes he'll just be like, yes. Sometimes like, no, that was terrible. And it's like, I don't even know what the difference between the two reps were, but it's <laughs> like, I, I love, I love that. Cause I want the honest feedback. And a lot of times I was very used to going into the practice room and being in control of my partner and the pace and uh, the positions we were working in. And now, now I feel like the opposite. I'm like, I'm the, I'm the Guinea, trying to, the Guinea pig, trying to catch up, trying to, 
trying to make it work for the partner um, and just trying to like discover where I could get better. And uh, every day I'm walking into that room with, with an agenda of what I need to work on, what I need to improve on, which is something I've always really enjoyed. And I just got away from it a little bit. I just got away a little bit in the last couple of years at Rutgers, but it's something I did really well at Rutgers for a long time. And I'm so excited to have all those feelings back again and just, you know, hopefully maintain the habits that help me feel in that way and keeping those thought processes the same way. Um, so th- that's a lot of inside the room, I guess, outside the room. So it sounds like you will be moving and I don't, I guess I don't know my micro geography very well, but I, I, Rutgers and, and Hoboken aren't close enough to kind of commute every day. I live, yeah. So I live 30 minutes from Rutgers now in a town called Red Bank. It's on the water, uh, close to the Jersey shore of, of New Jersey is that's like, that's like where I want to, you know, end up one day that would be the dream to live where i'm living now i I love the area um and i'll be moving well that's that's about 30 minutes from Rutgers, and then it's another probably 45 minutes so it's a little bit of a mini triangle from from where i'm at on the shore up to Rutgers in the middle of the state and then hoboken's close to new york city and a straight line from where i live right now is about an hour um so right now i'm commute commuting to practice and uh it's not easy but you know, it's just something that I want to get accustomed to with the guy. I want to get accustomed to the guys on the squad, and the coaches, and I love training. So I want to train and I want to get in there with the best guys and train. Um, so I'm making that drive now and I'm moving full time to Hoboken September 15th, which will make things awesome right after the world championships. And um, I'm really excited about that. Uh, it's a Hoboken's a beautiful town. I think it's like known for being like a square mile yeah. large. It's really, really tiny. But uh, yeah. I bought a Vespa, so I'm excited about that. Recently, I'm going to be riding, riding the Vespa around Hoboken. Um, nice little matte, black, matte red. So, you know, I still got my Rutgers roots. It's it's scarlet red. Uh, Vespa, I'll be rocking that around Hoboken, getting the practice, getting the lifts. So I'm excited about the move, and it's also close to New York City. So I've always gone to New York City as a kid being from New Jersey, but, um, you know, I'm excited to get in there more often and, and easier with the path. There are different ways of transportation from Hoboken. Yeah, and it really, I mean, I've, they did beat the streets in Hoboken a couple of years ago. I've been, I've been out there a few times. It just, it kind of feels like New York City, right? It's, it's right across the water. It's, it's very condensed. Um, what, what are you looking forward to most about city living, city life? Uh, I love the feeling of just like blending in, like whether it's getting on the subway, and uh, you know, I'm moving in with my girlfriend, so that's exciting too. She and it's exciting that she's excited about it. We've lived together now for two years, but that was a big thing in the process. You know, having her on board, she was on board the whole time, which was great. But uh, she was making fun of me because I was telling her I was like, I can't wait to like just like take the subway and like take public transportation, and she thought I was a weirdo for that. But I I like I like the idea of like just this chaos going around you and you just being calm, like going about like, you know, just going to my job kind of thing, which is cool. Uh, you know, when usually you're going into the city, you're part of the chaos as a commute, like as a, uh, you know, tourist or like I was a tourist from New Jersey going into the city usually. And now it's like, no, nah, this is my city. You know, I'm just on the yeah. subway as a casual and I, uh, I like that feeling. So I'm excited about that. I love New York city too. Um, and kind of the stuff you just described, it would be, you know, and I've never been there for probably more than a week, maybe 10 days once. It's always fun. But, you know, people are like, dude, if you live there, you know, you might get sick of it. So I'm interested to check in with you in a year and see what the experience yeah, yeah. is like. Um, <laughs> That's very true. What, uh, I guess, you know, so we're, we're talking about moving and training and, and the setup. When do you think you'll compete again or next? Yeah, it's a tough time period for competition. You know, I wasn't able to go to the Poland Open. That was, uh, I feel like, pretty much the last tournament on the docket right now for guys that didn't make the world team or competing at the world championships. Um, uh, So it's like just trying to find a competition on the next calendar year. And UWW hasn't really released anything earlier than February right now. And, uh, you know, just talking to Kendall and Valentin, you know, January and February seems like it's going to be a real intense time of, maybe train, training overseas as well as doing tours to compete, which is something I never really did. I went on Athletes in Action, but that wasn't the same as going to tour and training and then right into a competition, which 
seems like they do almost two times a year, which I'm really excited about. Um, and it's something I feel like is necessary if you want to win at the international level. So, you know, just waiting for UWW to kind of release these tournaments after the world championships and the next for the next season, and then just coming up with a plan and, uh, me and Kendall a little bit talked a little bit about, uh, what, it, what that would look like, but really we need to see what the dates of these tournaments would be to, to really plan it out. Um, the next thing on the docket for me is probably, uh, a trip, a training trip to Georgia at the end of this month in early September with the country. Uh, yeah, yeah. With the country, uh, with the, with some of the guys from uh, New York city regional training center. And, uh, and really it's in preparation for Mitch's world championship, you know, really all the, all the preparation in the room right now for, for them. And for us is, uh, you know, getting Mitch ready. He's competing in a big tournament and we're just trying to be there for him, what he needs and things like that. So as well as, you know, work on areas we need to, but that's really the focus in that trip and training right now. You're like a red shirt. Who's, who's getting the uh, guys ready for nationals. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so I was going to ask this, but I guess you kind of already said it. Is it safe to say you're going to compete at 65 moving forward, or do you see yourself moving, moving back and forth? Yeah, no, I don't see myself moving ever again, really, till I'm done competing. Just unless the Olympic weight changes, you know, 65 kilograms is going to be where I'm at, and uh, you know, it is what it is. Uh, yeah. Okay. Fair. Um, all right. Want to want to kind of pivot here and I, I heard the kids in the background at the camp I think that's great I know I've seen you you post a lot of stuff working with the youth and this is like a really kind of ambiguous and open-ended question but like what is the best way to prepare youth for to be successful in the long run right we can tell them to rip headlocks and to to do things to win today but like if if you could give some advice to a dad or a parent or a club coach, it's like, man, this is an approach that you need to take with the youth to really help them be good in the long run and to love it in the long run. What, what do you say? I'd say the, the most success I've had in that is finding a way to make, making discipline and hard working, hard work fun. Um, and which is hard, you know, you get this group <laughs> of five to seven year olds for their first time coming to train and how do you make it, hard fun and still get them to like enjoy what they did like well it's, if it's fun they're going to enjoy it but how do you make it hard in and and still disciplines in them while making that fun and that's like the challenge you know and uh i think you know me and uh a couple of the guys i work with we do a really good job and um and finding that balance you know giving the kids like little mini rewards whether it's you know they made it it, it might have stunk for three weeks and the practices were really hard and it was a lot of high crotches over and over again because it's the first time learning a high crotch and it's a little boring but then all of a sudden and after that third or fourth week they get a, rewarded with a shirt or uh, one of the club shirts or uh, a singlet and all of a sudden you see the kid's face when you're describing that he earned it and maybe he got over a couple tears in some of those practices and it's like hey man you earned this t-shirt now you're you you got over the hump you know you You've been really working hard in the room, and I noticed it. And uh, those little moments, I feel like, you know, I, I think when I first started coaching kids, it was always about making it fun, playing playing toe tag till they drop, playing first to a lock till they drop. And those things are still important to instill and have in your practice for those real young guys and trying to make it fun. But I, I got more into how, how do I really install life lessons while making it fun? How do I explain to them, hey, when coach is talking, we're not talking. And it's okay if you if you don't like what I'm telling you right now. And, and I have a loud voice right now, and I'm telling you this certain discipline. But if you're able to listen when coach is talking and not talk for a couple times in a row, weeks in a row, practice in a row, months in a row, now all of a sudden, now look at your technique. And it's I've been very fortunate where I've had kids enough times to stick through different practices where I get to see them get to the other side and, and have that enjoyment when they do reach the goal of, not mastering, but getting down the single leg, getting down the chase the hamstring, go behind or whatever it may be. And now it's like making fun in the technique. All right. Once they get it down now, it's like little games where, all right, we got it. I'm going to put a minute on the clock. You, you two, six year olds 
you're only allowed to do a single single leg with this setup. Let's see how many good ones you could do in a minute. And they're all like, oh, okay, okay. Uh, <laughs> oh. And they like get really excited. And then all of a sudden, now they're firing fast ones, not just slow ones. And some of them aren't great, but now they're learning how to be intense. And so it's just little tricks and little ways I've discovered or different coaches I've been around that I steal things from. Um, and I would just say the biggest thing is finding a way to, to get them to work really hard and instill these little disciplines that we all know wrestling instills in us, but doing it in a fun way to get them hooked on it. Sure. And again, maybe you just mentioned this, but what, you know, you're at apex, Damian Logan runs the club. He does a great job. What's something that Damian does well with the kids that, that maybe you've picked up or you already knew. Focusing on the positions more than uh, like focusing on, on our feet, on his like te- watching him teach yesterday and today it's like on his feet he's teaching these kids this is a camp not like his club so it's the first time he's seeing not the first time for most kids but it's more like it's intro stuff and he's teaching more how am i putting my partner on, on my feet how am i circling my feet where am i putting my hands in the hand fight what am i thinking about to get this shot open but not necessarily right away am i going to take the shot so it's yeah. more about positioning and what and understanding the whole general concept of how i'm gonna win wrestling positions and under, and then on top of that similar to edge edge does a lot of it but just breaking down more positions and letting the kids figure out those positions so teaching everything about a high crotch and then ne- not necessarily sometimes teaching them how to enter into that high crotch teaching them the position in the hand fight teaching them the position of where their hands are in the setup and good setups and just leaving it open-ended and then showing different things in the finish of once you're on the leg and, and leaving that, leaving that room for creativity and like how they're really going to get there. You know, we gave them tools on how to approach it, gave them tools on how to finish it. And it's like, let them be a little bit um, imaginative, imaginative and how to go about it. You know? Yeah. Love it. Um, all right. Got one more segue. Kyle Klingman has been hanging out over here. Um, we got a little segment. Uh, I don't know when he's going to ask it, but I do know he's going to try to stump you. All right. Trivia? I hope so. Yeah, it's trivia. It's called Sweat It Out. I have five questions. Are you ready to play? Yeah, I'm a little upset. These are the first five questions you're asking me. But. <laughs> <laughs> They'll be good. They'll be good. I asked a similar question to Mike Malinconico when he was on, so we'll see if you know. Who played the role of Kyle in the wrestling movie Win-Win? Alex Schaefer. Got it. Number two, where did Scott Goodale coach before he was hired at Rutgers? Jackson Memorial. Yep, it was a high school, so, yeah, pretty yeah. Unique, unique path. All right, number three, who did you defeat 7-6 to six for third place at the 2015 UWW Junior World Team Trials? Freddie Stroker. Yep. Kyle. Got it. Kyle. These, these are old, not softballs, but Let's I mean, you know, that was a tougher one. It's cranking yeah, up a lot of matches. That was tougher. <laughs> All right, number four, who beat you for third by the same seven to six score at the 2013 Junior World Team Trials? Ooh. Joey McKenna. Yep. Got four it. for four. Uh-uh. And just as a note, I learned I learned this as we went along. So 2013, there was the moment where wrestling was threatened to get dropped at the Olympics. So at the national tournament, you were part of that three period system where it was like one, 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 you could win that way. But a few months later, when you wrestle at the world team trials, it was a, a new system of scoring. So I don't know if you remember that, but that's what happened there. That's crazy. I, I just remember like, yeah, there's these different times with these different rules, but I don't remember the timeline like that, which is <laughs> weird to think about, you know? Yeah. Kyle does. Kyle doesn't forget anything. Well, I'll try not to. Uh, number five, who did your brother Billy lose to in the round of 12 at the 2012 NCAA championships? Uh, Boris Novajkov. You got it, six to three, and he went on to place third. You went five for five. Wow, five for yeah. five. Yeah. Yeah, Slam dude, dunk. that's good stuff. I mean, that was trivia about my own life, so that was, a little, that was fun. <laughs> um, Kyle Schaefer's older than you? I think, right? 
Alex Schaefer. Alex Schaefer. What am I talking about? Yeah. Um, I got yeah, that one. Yeah, yeah, one, one or two years older than me, and um, yeah, he's funny, man. His his Instagram name is Z List Actor. I guess like it's like a joke, like <laughs> like yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I think I he's it. still acting. I haven't like I've came across on Instagram a couple times. Like he was with Nick Soriano like two three weeks ago, maybe four weeks ago, and I swiped up and said, "Yo, what's up, boys? Like, how we doing?" And uh, you know, we me and Alec. We've been on plenty of teams together as kids. He was a stud in New Jersey. I think he was a two-time champ, but maybe one-time state champ at the time, and then got the win-win roll and just stopped wrestling. But uh, everyone thought he could have been special, man. He was hitting some crazy moves that he, like, just would make up, it felt like. Like, he wasn't a kind of kid that was like, yeah, he trained hard, but I don't think he was – I don't want to put words in his mouth, but I don't think he was the kind of kid that was like Bo Bassett training or anything, and he was very dominant at that level. Sure. What'd you think when you heard he was going to be in a movie? And then what'd you think when like, it wasn't just, it was like a, it was a big movie with like big time actors and actresses. I thought it was funny because I knew him pretty well and he's very goofy. He's super goofy. He was the kind of kid that wear, wore pajama pants bottoms to like every tournament. Um, and I thought his personality was good for it. Now that I'm, now I'm older and I could be like, all right, yeah, it's probably good for acting. But at the time I was like, Oh, that's funny. Like, my world at that time was all wrestling. I was like, how do I be a state champ? How can I be a national champ? And to me, it was like, just, I was like, I can't believe he's not going to wrestle or he's going to give up part of wrestling to do this. Um, and I was more shocked. And then I was excited when the movie came out. I wanted to watch it and support him. And I thought it was awesome. I could tell people I wrestled this kid and I know this kid. And, you know, I was a huge fan. I was watching, supporting him, telling people about it. So, yeah. Sweet. Yeah. Great movie. If you haven't seen it, check it out. Win-win. Um, not a whole yeah. lot of wrestling movies out there, but that's definitely one, and it's a good one. Um, and that's kind of going to take us to the end of the line, Anthony. So um, we're going to give you the last word. Anything you want to say about anything before we let you move on? No, I got nothing, man. I appreciate you guys wanting to catch up, and it's always nice talking to you, Mark, and nice talking with you. Kyle, right? Yep. 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 <laughs> so it was great talk. <laughs> Sorry. It's all good. Great talking with you guys. What uh, what does what does Mark usually mess up about where you're from over there? What does he usually say? In the what, beginning what, of the show, he, in the beginning of the show, now? you were saying he he nailed oh, it. Oh, so I'm couple. from Cedar Falls. Yeah, he he tries to mess up Cedar Falls, Iowa. He'll call it Cedar Tree or Cedar Rapids <laughs> or Cedar Grove or just any number of things. So he likes to to make fun of where I'm from. Um, Is that on Missouri or? did. I, I think so. About. I think he's he's a little disgruntled. Missouri hasn't won an NCAA title, and Iowa has them all, so it's a little <laughs> tough. So he's got to take hot shots. Oh man, else. here we go. Are you you're an Iowa Hawkeye fan or Iowa State Cyclone fan? I mean, Northern or, Iowa's or, right or, here, or, or Northern Iowa, the Panthers. He lives in the same yeah, town as, as Northern Iowa. Nice, yeah. nice. I think he's just uh, a general Iowa wrestling Iowa. fan. Is that is that a fair what characterization? Yeah. What do you think, uh, yeah, but I grew up, Brody Teske? Yeah. Hey, Brody Teske is in the transfer now. portal, right? Brody yeah, Teske in the transfer, transfer portal, portal, right? I'd like him to stay at Northern Iowa is what, what I'd like, but we'll see where he ends is, up. Is that a chance? I think it's a chance, yeah. I, th I think absolutely he could stay here. I think he's just exploring his options. I don't have anything other than just my innate <laughs> – innate knowledge of that but yeah I, I think that he might stay but I, I don't know where he's looking right now yeah yeah I got a question for both of you guys before we get off like yeah, do you think course. a move a move like that do you think these kids are just making the option to see what else is who's going to come to them and who's going to you know pony up to see if he has options like that or do you think there's actual things that he wants to go somewhere else for I think I think it's and I don't I'm not speaking for uh Teske's situation in particular but i think that could happen where kids enter the portal because well, let's see what else is there somebody and now we're with the nil right i know the coaches and the teams can't come to you but i know they have these collectives and these outside organizations that could approach these kids so i think in some cases it's like let's just see what else is out there maybe i'm not unhappy but maybe there's something better but speculation yeah. completely i don't have yeah to have the which is which is crazy you know it's it's a little crazy you would hope you'd hope you know, if they're happy, they're going to stay. People are going to stay. It's like, but yeah, you could only think, you know, he's entering the portal from a Northern Iowa. And maybe he's thinking like, I'm at a smaller program. Let's see what else is out there. I don't know. 
Like, I don't know him like that either, but, uh, yeah, you don't know. Let's have Kyle weigh in. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's such an interesting topic because I like what Mark said there, but I think there's also the exhilaration of, hey, when that gets announced, hey, you're a early 20s and it, it goes viral and you're in the spotlight, I think it's a, I think it's a big deal and it's alluring to, to see what's out there and the potential of NIL money right now. I just think that that idea of exploring your options and just putting yourself in the portal and you know coaches are going to be coming after you and contacting you, I think that's alluring. It's crazy. It's so different. And I, I don't, you know, NIL wasn't a thing when you were in college. I don't know. It's like between the portal and NIL, it's like changed, not the landscape, but maybe it's, it's changed a dynamic within college athletics and probably other sports much more than wrestling. Yeah. Even just the portal besides NIL, it's like when I got to school, going Nick Soriano going from a big 10 school to a big 10 school without getting suspended for a year was a huge deal. Yeah. And now it's just, you know, you could just do whatever you want. So it's like, it's uh, even that part's a little different. You know, when I was coming out of high school, it's like, I think a lot more went into the college decision in sense of hopefully this is going to be home for a bunch of years. And I, this is where I feel most comfortable. Whereas now it might be, I might not be most comfortable here, but they're offering me whatever they're offering me in an NIL and I could just transfer if I don't like it and there won't be consequences and you know, it is what it is. So <laughs> I think, I think that part's crazy, but uh, you know, yeah, it's also, I'd like to ask you think, like Anthony, if I could just on that note, when you're in college and you get an Instagram post or you go viral, is that intoxicating? Is that a, a fun thing as a college kid to have that happen? Yeah, definitely. For me, my senior year, I got rid of my Instagram and Twitter because I knew I was getting to the point where I was intoxicating for me. Uh, and it was just like, like I've always wanted to be as successful as possible in wrestling. And I knew at that point in my life, I was 23 and I was like starting to feel all that stuff. And I had some crazy matches my senior year. So it's like that stuff's going viral and I'm seeing what it's doing and seeing I'm walking into Starbucks and kids are like, what's up? And he shot him down. It's hard to not love that. Uh, And, you know, I just removed myself from social media for the most part of the season. And that helped me a lot. But the the problem with that is like, it's a way for us to make money. You know, it's a way for us to build our network. It's a way for us to build our brand to make more money when it's time to have other opportunities. So it's like a double-edged sword where I think you need to have an understanding of the consequences it could bring and, um, you know, I don't do a great job with it any anymore, I don't think, because because of those feelings. I don't want to deal with those thoughts, and I'd rather just honestly, like, do less and stay away from those feelings and thoughts. But as a college athlete, you know, it's huge. And I, I think it's even – it is. it is. It's not. I don't think. It's definitely way bigger, like you're saying, now than it was when I was in college from 13 to 19. And it's not even that many years later. Um, so I think, you know – the best athletes do the best job at it. The be- the guys that are wrestling at the highest level, they use it to their advantage. And um, I think they shut it down when they need to, but use it when they, when they want a, you know, a boost or whatever, whatever it is, sharing a big win, sharing a big moment, sharing a deal. Um, and, you know, some of the other guys that maybe are struggling with it are just consuming themselves in it and looking for it as validation to them doing well, which is, is a cancer, you know? Man, I feel like, and we're not, we're going to pause it, but we could like, th- this is like a topic that could be explored in a hundred different directions because everything you said is right and you can make the best of it or it can make the, get the best of you. And uh, hats off to you for just kind of putting it all to the side during your senior year because that can't be easy when it, when you, you get those feelings and it is awesome and everybody's praising you and, and you feel great. So Tip of the cap to you for, for putting it away and, and getting your national title. Thanks, man. And uh, thanks again for having me on, man. It's been fun. Appreciate uh, you letting me share some good news up here, up here with you guys. And uh, it's good, man. Yeah, congrats. Good Enjoy that pizza. I love it out there. Yeah. All yeah, right, pizza Anthony. and Hoboken, man. Hoboken's going to be a level up in the pizza game. I'm excited <laughs> about that. Italian delis and Hoboken as well. For sure. <laughs> well, thanks for joining us, man. Best of luck. And uh, we'll catch up with you soon. All right. Talk to you All guys right. soon. Yeah, thanks. All right, Kyle, that was a good one, man. And, and I love the, the twist it took at the end there. You know, uh, you never know. What, that was fun. You never know what's going to happen. So, uh, yeah. but congrats.
to Anthony on it on his uh his move to Hoboken or upcoming move to Hoboken and the NYIC I see RTC and and you know maybe one day he'll be back at Rutgers. Sounds like he has nothing but good things to say about them. Um, but that's gonna do it for today's show. So for Kyle Klingman and Mark Bader, we'll see you later. Thanks. See you tomorrow. Well, I'll see you, I guess, at 12.30, so, yeah.